Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. My name is Chris St. Croix. I'm a writer-director. Um, you might know me from a feature film, In the Dark. It's a horror anthology that came out in 2015. It's available everywhere. Um, available for free on Amazon in, the, uh, in South America right now, which is actually giving us the most money. So who knows why that, that's happening. Um, my first film was called Shattered. So if you live in Nashville, you probably saw that. Um, and, uh, the most recent short that I did that was in a couple festivals over the pandemic uh, was called final. And, uh, I wrote and directed that, uh, Ryan Featherston shot it. What I'm working on now is trying to figure out how to make one of the five scripts that I wrote in during the pandemic it, and, and make the darn thing because, uh, I'm, I'm through writing, man. I want to shoot something. I'm sick of it. Chris St. Croix, welcome to the Make It Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And we have a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about. And I think you're right. I think we're, we're in for sort of a renaissance of art. I think all these super creative people were stuck at home busy writing and working. And now we have an environment in which those works can, you know, be made. Um, those creatives can explore what it would take to execute on those ideas. And I'm really excited for the next two years. I know. So this is being recorded on, uh, April 22nd. Uh, and this week, the big news is that, you know, Netflix, was negative 200,000 subscribers and wall street went crazy on it. But the thing is, is I think that first of all, Netflix is going to be fine. But, but second of all, yeah, I think it could open up a rich market for indie creatives and indie filmmakers, because I think they realize that part of the, the problem that wall street actually sees isn't that negative 200,000 subscribers. I think what they see is the missed guidance on subscribers and it's based on the content, right? They've, they've got this populist content. That's a please everybody kind of thing. Their best shows are at the end of their life cycle. Ozark, stranger things, black mirror, et cetera. And now I think if they're smart, they kind of do a, they do a couple of things. They do M and a, they might have an ad based tier, Um, they can't really bundle, but the main thing I really want them to do is to go out to the indie market once again and start buying from indie distributors and licensing directly from independent filmmakers and producing independent films. Um, especially if they're really great stories, I think story is still King is kind of what I'm getting to here. And Mm -hmm. they got away from that a little bit. They went to reality TV doo-doo and all this other stuff. And I think they're finding out, yeah, maybe there's a percentage of the audience that, that 
is kind of like a spectator, like they kind of like watching the car accident. But at the end of the day, people want stories that affect their lives and move them and change them in, in, in meaningful ways. So that's my, that's my soapbox for indie filmmakers and hopefully for those five scripts you wrote. Well, I, I have a, a, a really good sort of um, postscript on that to totally prove uh, what you were saying uh, in 2008. I think I'm getting it right. Yeah, 2008, my first feature came out. We shot it here in Nashville, shot it on the DVX 100A back in the day. And um, we had it up res to HD. And I had it with an independent uh, uh, distributor uh, called Maverick. Terrible, terrible company. But <laughs> it, got me on, it got me on the shelves. I yeah. never saw a dime. You know, they had an $80,000, uh, you know, uh, upfront kind of, um, you know, I would have had to make over $80,000 to, in order Unbelievable. to Unbelievable. Absolutely criminal. But my whole thing was, first movie, I want it on the blockbuster shelves. And I got it. Yeah. So, um, and the blockbuster went away like, you know, you know, five seconds later. <laughs> but to your story... And how I agree with you is that Netflix bought my first feature in 2008 for an amount of money that basically gave me all my money back. Now it was like a $15,000 movie. So it wasn't a lot. Um, I don't know what they're paying. I don't even know if they buy independent films now. And this is pre, this is just when they started streaming. Yeah. Um, but it was more for DVD. And, uh, it was the greatest thing to ever, to ever happen to me. But I always, you know, I put it in my bio cause people see Netflix and maybe that gets me in the door and hopefully I can prove myself once I'm in there. Um, but the reality is on the ground, it, they just were buying anything. They needed content. Right. Well, that's not the story anymore. Um, I agree. I think they're going to be absolutely fine. Wall Street is fickle like that. And they're going to be like, Oh, 200,000. Oh my God. What are we going to do? It's like, come on, man. How let's, let's be real. How many people are on, you know, say they have 240 million people. I think they actually just came out with the numbers. How many people they feel are sharing with outside a hundred million, hundred yeah. million. Yeah. So, so that, what, that's what about 2.1 billion in lost revenue. Yeah. So what is it really about then? You know, because yeah. it, it's about finding. Well, in their case, it might always be about Wall Street, yeah. right? I don't know that they're necessarily going to be the one that's going to backtrack and sort of start to open up. They had Red Envelope. Was it called mm -hmm. Red Envelope uh, yeah. in the early days? I don't yeah. think they're going to do that. But let's look who won the best picture this year. Yeah, Arguably, yeah. the, you know hated by humanity company, you know, pretty much loved and hated, right. Sort of like socially in the, in the shitters. Can I swear on this? Yeah. Yeah. We're all big boys and girls. Okay, go for it. <laughs> totally in the shitter. Amazon kind of all over the place. Not sure what you're going to get. You know, like we're going to make a movie here. They win best picture. Netflix has been gunning for that forever. Yeah. All the other people are gunning for it too. They get it. And they were kind of like, what did they do? They did a quirky, weird thing. No, no, sorry. Yeah, Coda. No, wait, is it Apple? Coda is Apple. Apple, I'm sorry. Apple. Apple. Well, all right, Amazon, whatever. But Apple, 
they hadn't really had their breakout. They were just spending money. Now I, I, I like a lot of shows on there. We watch servant. Uh, we watch, uh, I hear severance is incredible. I'm going, to, I'm Chris, watching the We crash thing with Jared Leto. Yeah. Yeah. He's a transformer. He's, he's a, he's a very interesting. Yeah. Guy. Uh, yeah. He's His performance in house of Gucci stuck with me for its bombast. I don't know <laughs> if I'm like... going to, I'm, I'm a Ridley man, but I don't know. It sounds terrible. What I've heard. He did, a, he did this really hard. And I know you spent some time in, in Italy. Uh, yeah. he did a really hard, like, uh, stereotypical Italian. Luigi. Look, there were 400 people standing in front of him, including Academy Award nominees and yep. 57 producers. I'm sure. Everybody made that decision. You know, we can't, we can't blame him. Everybody went, we love it, dude. And now they're like, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. Everybody, I like people that take chances. I, I guess. In, in um, his defense, he was playing somebody that was a rich imbecile. I, I just like that, that it's kind of like, uh, in the, the guy who I'm, I'm bad with names, uh, just morphed into the penguin for the new Batman movie. Um, couldn't be more handsome in real yeah. life and turns himself into this sort of gross dude. <laughs> and he was, a, he was great. One of the better things in the movie I thought. And yeah. uh, anyway, so again, I, like I said, I'm a tangent guy. I, I'll get off on all kinds of tangents, but Netflix bought my movie and that gave me a belief in, Oh, maybe this is where this is going to go. And then Netflix became Netflix. Yeah. And I'm not faulting them for saying we would rather give $300 million to Michael Bay to make you know, six underground with Ryan Reynolds, which I was really excited for. And it wasn't very good, but, uh, everything that Ryan Reynolds and I'm, I'm in for anything he's in. Uh, he's Van Wilder in every movie and, and I'm, and I love it. I, I can't, I, I love him. Yeah. And you know, I, that's, I love Clooney. I kind of don't yeah. care what they're in. I just like watching yeah. them. Um, it's like Deadpool is Van Wilder with weapons. Like, okay. It, and, then, the, and then this next movie is Van Wilder in a, in a marriage. And then the next movie is Van Wilder. If he were Indiana Jones, that's that one he did with the rock. Yeah. Yeah. Let me go back to go back to uh, two guys, a girl in a pizza parlor. He's, he is, that persona, I bet you when he was 15, if you were his friend, he was the same guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's and, so authentic. Yeah. And he, he owns it and it, just, it makes me laugh. I mean, he's, he's one of my favorites. Absolutely. Ditto, but, ditto, ditto. but Netflix, um, yeah, it, it feels like with a success like Coda taking a real swing that could have just been, you know, quietly, you know, all right, we're going to start, you know, are we going to make 50, uh, movies about people, uh, with hearing dis disability or whatever the, the technical term is now, I don't want to say it incorrectly, but that cannot hear. Yeah. I don't know that that's going to happen, but Apple is going to feel a little better maybe about yeah. doing, we're going to do these things with the big stars and then we're going to do some artsy stuff because clearly it pays off. I'd like to see the other places do that too. Um, yeah, all their shows have that same kind of vibe. Um, they take risks. They they're betting on story instead of names. So they bet on a movie like Coda that doesn't have anybody you know in it, but it has a top notch script 
and performances and story. And what Netflix has been doing is saying, let me give Ryan Murphy a ton of money. Let me give Eddie Murphy a ton of money to make that terrible coming to America two movie. Uh, let me give Adam Sandler some money so he can mail it in. Like <clears throat> there is like, they're picking names over great projects. And I think they're going to do a 180 and start picking great projects. And that's a real opportunity, I think, for, you know, independent filmmakers. I, I agree. I will. It, it's kind of, it kind of has to be mm-hmm. from, from just seeing the birth of it and then being in it. I guess if I was 15 years old right now, I might not remember what it was like prior to that. Right. But, um, seeing it has to kind of like everything in, in that becomes popular in, in the art world, it gets massive and then it kind of, breaks up mm-hmm. and then the sort of the best little pieces are left. And one would hope that uh, more of the streamers and even honestly, more of the network, I'm surprised that net, that network television has not just come one of the three or four has not just completely turned themselves into an over the air commercially based streamer yeah. I mean, doing movies, of the, doing movies of the week, doing, yeah. you know, doing blockbuster movies that they're paying for. I, I don't know why nobody, they keep changing presidents and CEOs. One of them has to come in and go, uh, pull, pull what I call a Warner brothers. It's like, now nah, we're putting everything out on both platforms and yeah. I'm not going to tell anybody about it either. You know, we're just going to do it. Yeah. And that's the network that everybody's going to want to be on. I think they'll do it once they figure out dynamic ads and, and there'll be a fast network and they'll do ad supported and, uh, it'll be like, um, their own version of Pluto TV. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think we're going to see that in, in the near future. Um, I was curious if you could talk to me about why super eight Christmas was so special. It is the cap gun starter pistol. Cause there's a, later on, there's a full on three fifty seven starter pistol that happens, but okay. it was the original prior to star Wars. I watched, I love movies, Disney movies. You know, we went to go see G rated movies and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up moving to Germany, uh, Europe in general in, when I was about 10 mm-hmm. and my father was a professor and he took a job over there and we were only supposed to stay for a year, but we stayed for three, mostly in Germany, moving every semester to a different place. Yeah. Moving, not an issue with me. <laughs> I can move at the drop of a hat and you know, whatever. I've, how many, I've been how many schools did you end up going to between kindergarten and 12th we, grade? We, we were in Nuremberg twice. So probably 10, I can't do the math of 12, three years. It's well, really like two and three quarter years. Anyway, every, every three, every three months we would move. And wow. I'd have to make kid, you know, friends, new friends but, again. Yep. But the, but it's different than in, in America or probably anywhere because an army base, we lived off base cause my dad wasn't in the army. He was a civilian who taught the army, um, business, business courses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, fascinating. So, yeah. So I got lucky on the way up with that. I wasn't like art, art, art. I don't know anything. You know, my dad was like, it's a business. Yeah. Um, so I got lucky with that. But, uh, so all we had, we didn't speak the language for a while. It was Germany and Italy, um, like probably 
10 places in Germany and two places in Italy. But our parents took that trip as a way for us to see the world. And they would pull us out of school all the time just because we would, you know, we'd go to Paris or we'd go to Morocco or something like that. And again, it sounds all fantastic, but it's a, it's a train, you yeah. know, back then it, we, it's not like, Oh, we got to go to Morocco or like this big wealthy family, hardly at all. Not at all. <laughs> it was just, you could get on the train and you'd be in England in a number of hours, that kind yeah. of thing. So that, so we did that Morocco took longer, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, but I saw, I loved movies. I loved movies. I wanted to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an actor. I'm gonna be in movies. And then I saw Star Wars, and Star Wars was the first time I ever knew. I, I, I found out that there was this thing called a director, and yeah. in that particular case, it was the person that created the world, wrote the dialogue, and had what we would later I understand is called the vision. And I was so enthralled with that. I was like, oh. Now, is that what a director does? Well, I want to do that too. Okay, so I was, I was that guy. I was like acting and directing, and I want to be on TV because anyway. So the next level, we moved back to the States, and um, I started getting this magazine called Sin and Magic, mm-hmm. which was for uh, special effects, super, to talk about a niche market, uh, special effects, super eight filmmaking. And I was in love with it, but I didn't have a camera. We didn't have much money. I said, I don't need a birthday present. I just, I want a super eight camera. It was a great <laughs> camera. And I got one. And it, like I said, it, it was, it was the first starter pistol on this very winding road of a journey, uh, which took me off into music and then back to film. Chris, I don't know why this is the case, but I've found that over the 130 some odd interviews I've done on this podcast, that when people buy their camera before they're 18, it kind of collects dust. But if someone gifts them a camera before they're 18, they use it all the time and it like springboards their whole interest. Oh, I do. Do you think there's something to that? Um, wish fulfillment. I don't know. Like, like it, maybe, maybe there's pressure to prove to the buyer that you really wanted it. I mean, in my actual particular me case, I think in general, I think you're right. But for me, there is no way in the world I could have saved up allowance. I would have been in college by right. the time I saved up money to get one. And it, I don't even know what it cost. Did it cost $300? That's $300 in the eighties. I don't know, but it was silent. It was a silent one. Um, and I ran around in the backyard and we tried to make movies. And the unfortunate thing, which was sort of the first little speed bump was the realization that it doesn't look like a movie though. Like in my mind, I didn't know how it was a magic trick that they were doing. And no, I had no way to find out that magic trick. It was going to keep me away Oh, this is supposed to look like I didn't even understand 35 versus super eight. It didn't really connect with me. I think I was. So, so for you, it wasn't the fact that somebody actually bought you the camera. It was the fact that you would, this is something you wanted to do. So as soon as you got it, you were like, let's go, let's start. Oh, I, yeah, It's like everything I do. I, I, I just, I ate it up. But as soon as I found out about Star Wars, like I want to make these kind of movies, how do you do that? Oh, they went to USC. 
oh, maybe I oh, that's it. I'm going to USC. Don't even have to think about it. Don't know that my family can't afford to go to USC. That's not what I'm thinking about. <laughs> it's right. like my father gets us a free ride at BU. I don't want that. I want to go to USC. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff. But it, it was very disappointing, unfortunately, because even with the magazines, um, you would get the film back a week later and you'd either flashed the film and it's worth worthless by accident forget trying to edit it was you know it was grainy we didn't know we didn't have lights we didn't we were outside just doing stupid goofy things i never i never did the the full spielberg you know where uh you know he took a he took his super eight camera and he made a, a 27 minute film with foley and effects and like i don't know i just didn't have the mentors around and there really was no, there's no internet. It was just magazines. It was all kind of a big secret. Yeah. And how do you make, you could watch the movie, the making of star Wars on TV, but it really didn't tell you how they made it. It was all sort of bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. So I, I stopped. I was like, Oh, I guess I don't have this magic, magic ability that these other people were given at birth. So, Okay but I'm still going to go to film school. I can be an actor as a fallback. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be an actor. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to go and be, I know I got to be creative. I know I have to make things. I, I like moving pictures. I like music. I love all this stuff. And then I went over to a friend's house one afternoon. They, they had lost their lead singer. And I always sang I mean, chorus and stuff like yeah. that, but I never even, I love rock music. I love everything, but I just never even thought about it. And I, And this is literally the moment that changed my life. Part one. Oh, part two, I guess. Camera was one. This is part two. I walked. By the way, do you still have the camera? No. Uh, It did, but in all of the moves (laughs) from Los Angeles to here, it did not. It did not make it. It didn't make it. It did not. I have have seen it. I saw it at a thrift store, like the same model. Mm -hmm. And I almost bought it, but I was like, it's not it. So why do I want, you know, I have the memories. I have, I have, hopefully I get to keep those for a while longer. And, and, and by the way, um, before I get far away from it, you, you gave us so much in that first part of the answer. I did want to dig in on one other thing that you mentioned and you, because you talked about the moving and like being all around Europe. And I know it wasn't fancy, like, my family's from Fischbach, Germany. They still live there. I know what it, you mean about the train. It's like, it's not glamorous. It's like you hop in a really small car and you take an hour drive to the French like, border and then you get on a double decker bus and then you're in Paris. It's not like, yeah, with it's like not eight, like eight yeah. or nine people that, that were, that bought the ticket for the other car. And we weren't in the fancy car. There was like this other car. Right. And they would just knock on the door. And if there were seats, They'd say, are those taken? And of course we'd say, because we didn't know, which is like, sure. And then 11 people would just pile in with kids and stuff. And we're just like, Oh, I guess it's just how you travel. Yeah. It's, it was a totally different world. Right. But even with that being said, my guess is that some high 90th percentile of, you know, all kids in America don't have that experience, wouldn't have that experience and therefore wouldn't be able to, quite put their finger on the cultural impact it has on you growing up. And um, just in terms of 
seeing different cultures, races, backgrounds, and, and not having some preconceived thought about that. I'm, I'm curious how being in Europe at a young age, getting that camera, being interested in Star Wars and movies, how that sort of informs your filmmaking and storytelling today, if at all. At the time, leaving New Jersey, the only world I knew, um, and we're talking about, you know, white picket fence, almost rural New Jersey that people don't know about. I lived okay. on. Actually, and, New, most of New Jersey is green. If you, I, I but once you, did a drive through New Jersey, it was green almost the whole way. Oh yeah, no, it's it's like it reminds this. Nashville reminded me of the area of where where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, Somerville was the city. Was the yep. city. I was born in Rochester, New York, Piscataway, New Jersey, and Somerville. And we moved from Somerville to Germany, which was like sending me to the moon. Uh, <laughs> because I was like, I didn't even know there was another town outside of where I could ride my bike at that point in my life. Right. And then you get there and they said, wait, you don't have McDonald's? Wait, you don't have ice cream is the size of... Uh, you know, gelato, it's like, it's, it's like I'm holding my hand up on the radio, um, uh, <laughs> the size of uh, a donut hole, you know, yeah. that's what it, and we're like, can I have 17 scoops then? You know, like it was culture shock in, in, you know, cause we were in America, you know, we had giant slices of pizza, no good pizza for three straight years. <laughs> you know, it was like, it, it was, it was culture shock. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. As a child, I, it was the worst experience of my life. As an adult, by the time we got back, that was the true culture shock because we moved back to Boston. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people know Boston, but Boston uh, is is a very odd town uh, as far as uh, racial tensions, um, right. bad <laughs> history. Yeah, I'll tell you coming back after being in one of the most integrated uh, familial worlds for three years, which is the life on an army base, Mm -hmm. everybody from every walk of life and place in the world and creed and color and everything mixed together. Unlike America, if everybody in school hates you, you can go, to another, another town and hang out with people. If you're on an army base and everybody hates you, you're going to be the lonely kid for those four years that your father or mother is there. Yeah. So it trains you to accept the new person. Whereas when I got back to Boston, I literally, and I'm using that word correctly, had to fight my way all the way from sixth grade to ninth grade because I was this weirdo that didn't grow up with them. And even though I was white, I, and it was mostly Italian kids, Irish and Italian. I, I happened to be uh, mostly Irish, but I looked different. I had curly hair and like, you know, I don't know. I was just a weird kid because we just came back from Europe. So I had a different kind of way about me and they didn't know me. And that was like, oh, wait a minute. That place was amazing this place is kind of screwed up. And I don't mean America. I just mean as a kid going Mm -hmm. from school system in Europe to meaning American school base. Um, I'm probably over explaining this, but it was huge. 
in answer to your question, that trip was my college and graduate school and five years, what do you call it, gap year, five gap years rolled into one because I didn't go to college. But I've, I've worked at accounting firms with, I, and I'll say it on the radio, I didn't graduate high school because by the time I was, I was two credits short. So I did do the work. (laughs) I did do the work, but I found out I was two credits short and I was not going to come back. I was joining a band. I was not going to come back for summer school. Right. So the only thing that I credit to that is maybe some genetics because my parents were very smart people. Hopefully I got a little bit of that with some street smarts, but Europe and just worldview and all of that combining just really, uh, you know what they, they tell people now it gets better. I, I, I know it's better in other places. You know, I don't mean in America versus Europe, just talking about as a kid. I know this isn't the way things are always going to be because I had that experience. Plus being in Europe at that time, if you, if you're there now, you can't have the same experience I had. Yeah. It's not a one-upsmanship. It's just that you have everything that America has but with a German accent. You've got McDonald's, you've got cable, you've got Netflix, you've got everything that you need. We had one Armed Forces radio, uh, radio channel, one Armed Forces television channel. And I saw Star Wars a year after it came out because we didn't get movies over there day and date like they do now. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. it was massively influential in my life, but only when you sort of grow out of your, you know, sort Re- of retrospectively, change, you go, retrospectively. that's the great, and my brothers and I all agree, uh, it's the greatest experience and, um, I highly recommend, even now I would highly recommend not you know, travel. That's great. But if you can live truly immerse yourself for a year or more, then you're really going to know at the least you're going to come back here. It'll inform your creativity through the roof. Um, but living with other people in the world just gives you a worldview that you can't get in a book. And you can't get on a two week vacation. I love it. Thank That's you. That's just, that, that was my experience. Anyway. Yeah, thank you so much for that. That's huge. And, you know, I've had this kind of epiphany uh, myself. I've been thinking about it a lot lately, actually, that I'm so thankful that I didn't peak in high school, that the best was yet to come after that. And, and I've come to the realization that, you know, I'm not cool. Like, <laughs> And I've, and like, I've been saying that to myself lately, just, just as a, just as an interesting factoid about myself, I wasn't sure that I knew like I'm cool, but I'm not a cool guy. And I think people expect me to be a cool guy and I'm kind of a nerdy guy. And that certainly was my experience in high school was being like sort of outside of center three degrees to the left as my friend Scott Kimmer used to say. And, (laughs) and I love being in that space where I'm three degrees to the left of, of center, uh, as an adult, because it, because it allows me to be a little bit different, but I, I, but I'm not cool. And I have to understand the first time I said it to myself, I thought that's a damn shame. And then I said to myself again, I said, I kind of like this. Listen, here's something you need to know about Chris. Chris is not cool. But but he's he's himself. I'm like, gonna I'm gonna push back on you, man. Um, <laughs> and I'm not just gonna say that's not true. You're cool. 
I get where you're coming from. Yeah. But I think, especially now, I feel like the need for an old, the old version of what cool was. Yeah. And you can say, it's, you stole my, I was going to say, I was going to say, that's too far back. And I was like, Fonzie, you can be Fonzie. I'm here to support you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. You can be, I don't know. Every generation has cool. Right. And that wasn't even mine. Like he was an adult. Like, I don't know. It's like it went from Fonzie to Zach Morris to Parker Lewis. Oh, I was on Parker Lewis. We can talk about that. Yeah, we will. Uh, Maybe (laughs) then it went to like uh, Will Smith and the Fresh Prince. Yeah, every generation has their cool. You're right. Okay, so maybe James Vanderbeek or uh, Luke Luke <laughs> Luke Perry. Luke, Luke Perry, Perry, right? Luke Perry. Um, yeah. yeah, I was on that show too. Um, but <laughs> 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 for the first time revealed anywhere, I'll tell all those stories if you want. Um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 we're definitely going to talk about it. Um, I just think I think. I think what you you it's possible that you're I'm going to be your psychiatrist. I think it's possible, Christopher, that um, you are envisioning the word "cool" meaning something that it used to mean. Mm. And I don't know about you, but I, I feel well. I've always like had this very. I don't know if you've ever seen that video of the little girl. I'm great. I can do anything. <laughs> that whole thing. The little girl in the morning with her brush and she's talking into the yeah. mirror. I kind of came out of the, I kind of came out of the delivery room, jumping on tables and being like, not that I'm great, but I just had confidence for days. I yeah. way less now just because yeah. it's been beaten, <laughs> but <laughs> I still have enough confidence that I, that I can do anything. So like, I think that's cool. I think being creative versus just doing, just doing something to do something is, is cool or yeah. I think there's a mo- under the modern version of what cool is. You are exactly that thing. Creative people, even people look, there can be corporate people that are super cool because you're doing it just a little differently. What did you say? Three, three, three degrees uh, left, three, three degrees left in any that you can be the, uh, the, the build houses, but you've got a different sensibility and you're going to say, Hey, look, uh, I'm going to pay my workers, uh, you know, a full wage. I'm not going to pay them under the table and I'm going to put money aside, you know, all different Mm -hmm. kinds of things that you could can do. I just think the word, uh, the way that you are looking and and I, I could, I could see it as well is we're looking at that old version, the Vinny Barberino, the, uh, the smooth with the ladies, the Chuck Norris, well, smooth and, unkind and rough yeah. and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. abusive and you know there's all these other <laughs> things that came along with it you know like right like oh we didn't think about that did we um yeah but we're we're, we're in a different place so but but i get i get the sense i, I get the the idea and the statement because I, I think that's empowering yeah because then well i'll tell you 100 i being alone in europe with my brothers and not having really other friends this that's where the self-reliance sort of comes on yeah uh really strong uh i was it was it was uh, nurtured uh, our parents you know would always buy us things to do and creative stuff and books and dr- coloring books and model kits and all this kind of stuff 
because we really didn't have anything to do. Mm. And, and, and that's also when all the rules, the sort of the American rules broke down. My mom had an ironclad rule, only G rated movies. That's all we could see. I don't even, I don't know what a PG movie was. It was Disney and nothing. Yeah. We got to Germany six, eight months in, she's watching her kids just sit there in the living room, spitting tops. She's going, this is, they're, they're losing their minds. This is not good. You just, we go out and play, but at some point, um, you can only have so many gummy bears. So right. we, uh, that's not true. You can never have too many gummy yeah. bears, but, uh, um, that then they started letting us see PG rated movies. Mm. And then eventually all bets were off. And if there was a movie, my dad would walk up and go, can my kids see this? And the guy of course didn't care. So he's like, Oh yeah. And we would go and we saw, you know, you know, if you've ever heard Quentin Tarantino talk about going to, you know, Hollywood Boulevard and watching those movies, mm -hmm. I saw all those movies, yeah. but I saw them in a movie theater filled with enlisted soldiers mm -hmm. and we sat there in the background going don't tell mom don't you know boobs blood yeah. you know samurai movies you know uh sunny chiba triple feature that they talk about in in the true romance like we saw all that before the age of 13 wow and it was like don't tell mom don't tell mom don't tell mom you true know, romance is powerful at 13 it'll, it'll change your personality yeah it was like well we we you know this is we, we saw all this stuff and we shouldn't have. And that informed me creatively too, because I kind of grew up a little faster, but they were, they were really good parents. I, I super lucked out on the parent side. They, uh, my mom was a house mom and yeah. she woke us up by hand every morning and made us breakfast. <laughs> it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like cordon bleu. I don't know what people who eats cordon bleu. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't crepe Suzette. Let's just say that it was a little <laughs> cereal. But, you know, she would wake us up for school, all that kind of stuff, dress, you know, get us dressed, all this kind of stuff. So I had that sort of Mary Poppins mom, right. but then I had the super fun Brooklyn dad mm -hmm. who worked 24 hours a day. He, when he came home, he would, uh, he, he would still do his own work in his office. And mm -hmm. I'm convinced that, my, my older brother and I both get that, uh, yeah. that sort of do what you love and it's not work. Cause he loved it. He truly loved it. And we saw that. So it was never like absentee dad. He's always in the office. It's like, that's how, that's how he was able to, to do it nonstop probably. Um, yeah. and he was happy doing it and he would come out and you know, he was, he was a great dad. Yep. Um, Different, different era too. And, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we get back to that. We need people to, um, Elon Musk talks about this, the, the concept of, uh, in people's mind that there's a horn of plenty in that. It's just that, that it's just there, but no, people have to make stuff. People have to work. People have to love what they're doing. People have to start businesses for there to be stuff for you to buy and consume and enjoy your life and actually contribute to the horn of plenty. And it sounds like you, your brother and your dad, you know, did that. Um, yeah, th there is a world in which this conversation ends up on our YouTube channel and people can see it. And if they're watching it, they're seeing a man who has a, a, a beautiful beard, but 
but a bald head. Um, uh, and, and it looks good. It's aerodynamical. It's, it's perfect for your, for your face and your image, but you didn't always have that. You used to have enormously long hair. You used to be a metal guy. And oh, I yeah. just, I thought Stay, to myself, hey, still a metal guy. Just no still, oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> I shouldn't even, always I that. metal. yeah. Um, please forgive me. Uh, how I was curious about this. How would your life be different? Oh, showing a picture of holy moly. That is beautiful. You've given Amy Grant a run for her money. Um, how, how would Wait, this how, is a, a single tier for the four, <laughs> four and a half feet of hair that I used to have? Okay, it's amazing. I, I, was, I was wondering, why is that on my phone? I'm not a narcissist. Yeah, why were you able to pull it's that on my so phone, quickly? But my uh, my mother lives in an assisted living facility here in Nashville, and um, she keeps telling people that I used to have this beautiful head of hair, and the, and the old ladies come up to me and sort of say, Oh, we hear you had pretty hair, pretty hair. And it was like two weeks ago. I found it. I found it in a fight and I took a picture and I showed him and say, here you go. See, yep. You know, that's why yep. I don't have it like at my back and call. Yeah. For this audience, if they go to Amazon and type in Chris St. Croix, uh, you'll see an album cover and you'll get a, a sense of, of that they, hair that, that we're, that we're talking about. And, uh, maybe you can buy that album. There's one left according to Amazon. <laughs> so we got yeah. to get that one. We got to get that one purchased. Um, and we'll have a lease put that in the, in the show notes, but, but I am curious how your life would be different if you had moved from Boston to Seattle instead of Boston to LA, because when well, you moved out there, hair metal was going out yep. and grunge in Seattle was coming in with the rise of Nirvana and Pearl jam and the like. Uh, and it seems like this has happened to you twice in your life. You moved to LA to do hair metal and then grunge came out. You wanted your movie on blockbuster shelves and then Netflix killed them. Um, so if you could reflect on that, I don't know, how would your life be different if you had chose to move to Seattle instead? Well, the, the, bigger, pic- the, the bigger picture is that, if you've been doing it for a while, you're bound to go through those, uh, cycles of creating the industry. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, I knew the people that that are still here in town and working, but when the digital transition happened, they were, they couldn't handle it because yeah. they had purchased a beta cam and they were still paying it off. And they, so they insisted that the new digital was not going to be, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm obviously now it's, it's not even an argument. I'll, I'll, I'll do you one better. We were supposed to not go to Boston. We were supposed to go to Los Angeles. Oh, wow. So if I would have gotten to Los Angeles, but then would I have met my friends who brought me down in the basement and said, Hey, can you sing for us? Cause I, I wasn't, I would have probably gone straight to, I probably would have learned more and learned more about movies, how they were made and gone straight to USC. I would have stayed on the movie track. Uh, um, and I don't, I don't, I, I great, great time in my life making music. Once I picked up that microphone, movies just went out the window. I, do you have I a sore spot at all for grunge rock? No, what I'll say about, um, and I, and I've got a script about, uh, a guy that's, I, I never had drug problems. I never had drinking problems, anything like that. that. I was really good at drinking. Uh, I didn't have a problem at all. Uh, I, but 
I, I never had sort of like the, the, those, you know, sort of like I'm a, I'm a sad old man and I didn't get to live my dream, but I wrote a movie about, a, a you know, a, a hard rocker from the eighties who wakes up when he's, you know, 55 and he's like, I, I blew it, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I can't yeah. wait to finish that. Um, and that would be a really fun sort of, yeah, it's not really autobiographical, but if I had landed in LA, I think I would have probably taken the same route as people uh, you know, in, in my generation that went to film school and then just walked right out the door into the industry. Um, because when I, when I lived in Los Angeles, I was a musician, but my day job was being an extra. Yeah. And so without me even knowing it, um, everybody else would go play cards in between scenes. I would go and sneak onto the set because I still had that deep inside me. I was like, Oh my, I still love movies. I want to see how they're made, but I was watching and it was interesting because I was watching it, not connected to it at all. Not having desire to do it at all. I was like, I'm a musician. You guys, this is cool. But I got, I, I, you know, I was on the set with Tarantino for a week in the, in the Pulp Fiction. uh, So, uh, so let's go through it, Chris, let's go through it because we teased (laughs) it a little bit. Let's go through it. Here, here we go. Anyway, I learned no. from a lot of directors by standing next to really great directors, not right next to them. They won't let us that close, but uh, <laughs> smartly enough, but going to, working on, you know, all these big movies from the nineties and just taking it in, not thinking I would ever utilize it. So, Getting a part would just mean I had more money to make music. That's, that was the only upside. For that me. was what you were thinking at the, t- yeah, at the time. And so this audience is up to speed. I'm going to go uh-huh. through the, it's just a small handful of things you were extra in pulp fiction, Forrest Gump, speed, falling down, lethal weapon, wings, full house, Mel's, Melrose place, now to an O in living color. Uh, just to name a few. And I guess what I'm curious about here is, is there's going to be a time where someone in the audience that's listening here is going to end up needing to be an extra. Is there any advice on how not to blow it as an extra or to even get something out of being an extra that you weren't, that, that other extras don't seem to, to get because you've done it so much on such prominent movies and shows. Yeah. It was literally my day job. Uh, I did it, it up to five or six days a week for three years. Um, I was in the union. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was, you know, I got to make, it was, you know, money to live, money to eat, money to party, money to, uh, make demos, make a record, make, make the things that I needed to do. It was a means to an end, but yeah, I loved being on the set and everything. Cause I had a childhood sort of connection, yeah. to it. but it was all, I was a businessman. I was just like, when I got, when I got to, okay. So, um, when I got the call, we would just get a call and say, are you available for a five day job yeah and and we would say at, at that point i'll tell you specifically at that point i was like what is it because i was i was a chick my about five or six of us were guys that that looked really young we yeah. were but we looked even younger we looked like we could play high schoolers and we had long hair and tattoos and things and we we could play sort of what people looked like at that time young you know the high schoolers and, and right. biker bars. And so we were this group of seven or eight people 
that once you hired one of us, it was easy for the casting directors. They would, uh, they would just grab us all. Hey, yeah. give me your, call your four friends. And so we all worked together. We were best buddies. And what, so I, I got a call and said, Hey, five days. I'm like, what is it? Um, cause it was always, always the same money. Um, and I was just kind of like, what is it? Uh, it's indoors. I'm like, good. I'm done. I'm in, yeah. you know, it's not a night shoot. You know, that we were spoiled at that point. And I show up on the set and it's at a diner in the Valley somewhere. And I, I brought a Clive Barker book called the damnation game with me. And cause I was like, I was kind of over it at yeah. that point. And I was just like, give me the money. I realized that, you know, I don't want to be on screen cause then they make you stay for all the coverage. Like mm. I'll stay out here. <laughs> it was Pulp Fiction. So they pulled me in and they sat me at the booth right by the front door. And you have to understand that they don't really tell us what the movie is. I mean, when they told me a oh, Forrest Gump, when, they, when, I, when they, I got to the set and they told me it's called Forrest Gump, I said, can you say that again? Forrest Gump. I get Forrest. What's the second word? Gump. Oh. And then one of the, like, the greatest makeup people in the world put like a beard on. I, I would have never had facial hair back then. That would be a sin, but I, uh, <laughs> and, and it, although it did get me my, my biggest payday. Um, but, uh, Oh, I went off on a tangent. Sorry. Okay. So I get inside and was sitting down and again, I don't know anything about Quentin Tarantino. Actually, the, the world really doesn't. I mean, if you were kind of cool and hip, you knew about Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And I had a friend whose roommate was the boss guy. Mm -hmm. yeah. But just an old guy. He was making a Super 8 movie with him. Like, really weird, weird, freaky people. I think he was not the guy, but my friend was a heroine. Yeah. And, um, but I was just like, oh, you want to come to the Reservoir Dogs premiere? And I was like, Nah, I didn't know the movie. I didn't know what it was. So I blew that <laughs> couple, couple of those stories in my life where I should have gone to see Jane's addiction, play a tiny little club, but I didn't, huh, I don't know the music that well. Huh, yeah. So anyway, uh, so I'm sitting, so they bring me in and I'm like, oh, crap, they're using me. Okay. Whatever. So I sit in the booth and then this guy comes in with a Jerry curl wig and there's another guy next to him with long black hair. And I'm like, is that fat John Travolta? <laughs> now you have to understand I'm on a John Travolta movie. Oh right. God. No, I love John Travolta, but it just meant like the movie wasn't going to be, we weren't yeah. going to have great food. We were, you know, I was, I wasn't there to, to make a movie. Like I was there to get paid and eat better than I would ever eat as a starving musician. Yeah. And they start doing, they literally, the first shot that we did was the last shot where they walk up, they look both ways and they walk out the door, which is the last shot in the movie. Mm -hmm. And then they, they wrap us and I guess they do the blocking what they want to do. And then I was there for the whole, Hey, honey bunny. I was there for, you know, this is a robbery, the whole thing. And you can see me, but at some point I started to get a sense like, this is cool. There's something cool going on. So I did what I never did. I actually did my job as an extra. And when they said, get down, I got down. 
Yeah. Because my friends and I used to, we got so bored doing it that we used to do this thing called double guns. And I, back in the old days, they'd be like, Hey man, how you doing? Hey, yeah, hey. double right? guns. <laughs> yeah. So, and this was all tele network stuff that most, most of the stuff we did was television. If this is too winded, if long winded, you can cut it. But, uh, we our our pastime was to pass the time. It was how many guns can you get on the air? So when it plays on television, we would watch Melrose Place in in shooters. We were always in shooters. I must have been on that. If you if you'll see me on shooters, and we would and we'd be talking to each other. And of course, if an actor did this to me now, I would see it coming a mile away because I used to do it, and I would I would tell them not to do it. I wouldn't be mean. Yeah. I'd tell them do not do that. And we would be talking to each other. We'd be going. <laughs> right here's one here's another gun really oh that's a good point now people can't see it but i'm making a pointer like a gun and yeah, you're pointing your, like yeah. hey how you doing there buddy you know with the guns and you get it on and then we'd all sit on the phone and watch whatever you know sort of a thousand sitcoms that we were on and then he's like oh dude jerry got the gun he got a gun <laughs> hey i think i got a double guns on uh on a quantum leap I think I got a double guns on Quantum Leap, so check it out. Dude, I just watched Quantum Leap. I taped it, you know? So it became sort of a fun thing. But on this one, for some uh, reason, I and it was very place. fortuitous, for some reason I said, you know what? I'm going to put my book down, and I'm going to take this seriously. I don't know why I did that. Hmm. And you can see me. If you freeze frame and you point, I can show you my head and all that. But I pulled my hair back, and I wasn't like, you know. Yeah. I guarantee you, if I sat down with Tarantino now, he'd be like, oh, I would have never cast you to be. You did not fit in that. I don't know who <laughs> cast you. Probably in the cut, he was like, who's that asshole? He just looks like some modern-day long-haired rock and roller. That's not my movie. So if I ever get to talk to him like that. But I did get to have lunch with them and Tim Roth, who then at, at that point uh, I thought was uh, doing a British accent because I then saw Reservoir Dogs. And I figured he was American anyway, but, uh, five it's, days. You, you're, in you're, that. you're, you are, you are not fit to give advice, uh, as an extra. You would get, uh, I know how to extra. I know, offset. I know bad. Is, is that right? Or <laughs> well, I know bad extra. And I can, I see it a million miles. My wife, I've trained my wife to, to, to watch it too. We can find super bad extras in the background. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I'm totally guilty. I terrible, terrible person, terrible person for <laughs> as a director. I would, I can't imagine how much they hated us on four camera shoots because we would just be doing this <laughs> just shooting guns with your fingers. Only, only once did an AD come up and say, uh, you guys, your hands are just too much busy work. Yeah. And we said, all right, action, <laughs> guns, 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 guns. If we didn't, we didn't care. It was terrible. It was terrible. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, it was, what was the name of your rock band, by the way, before I forget, before I forget to ask you uh, when we were in Boston, when I was uh, in, when Boston, you were in LA or uh, Boston to LA, either one, uh, in Boston, it was exact E X A C T. Mm-hmm. And then we moved, we already had extreme, mm-hmm. uh, who we opened for, but you know, we had at exact, right. So yep. I moved to Los Angeles and over the seven years I was there, I would say, four to five of it were just hardcore trying to form a band. 
And then we formed three quarters of a band, a half a band. By the end, I was like, I'll just be, you know, I'll be Bon Jovi. I'll be St. Croix or whatever. And it'll just do it. So I never, as you said, 89, 90, it was, it was doors were closed by 93. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually have a, uh, a a pilot for a uh, comedy, like a dramedy about that time period in, at, at radio because i think making a mo- uh, movie about musicians is kind of bands like a band trying to make it oh, boring just terrible unless yeah. it's somebody and you know unless it's van halen or something right uh, i um but um what was i talking about i'm sorry i got off track oh just uh what the name of your band was but it sounds like you oh, weren't able to put the band together solo. yeah i could yeah. never do it i just could never find people that were as as passionate and then, like I said, everybody was starting to cut their hair and wear flannels and sort of morph. And I was like, I, I play this music because I love it, not because it sells and makes money, which yeah. is why I just turned really loud love songs into country love songs. Into country and love songs, right. And that's how I ended up getting here as a, as a songwriter right. um, and an artist, too. But I was a little too visually uh, overwhelming. For, well, so, uh, so much of the genre uh, differences just have to do with what instrument you choose to be in your production or instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how close is country to R&B? Well, really fr- freaking close. And that's Lionel um, Richie. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 exactly. And, um, but we judge it weird, you know, this weird way. One of the best songs Garth Brooks has ever done, he did is Chris Gaines mm-hmm. called Lost in You. And it's unbelievable. And uh, that was universally panned, but mostly because it was Garth Brooks dressed up like a pop star from Germany or something. And it was weird for people and they couldn't, so they couldn't pay attention to the music, right? It was, that was the problem. But I would tell anyone, go listen to the only Chris Gaines album and yes. listen to the song lost in you. And then tell me if that's a good song or actually tell me if that's a great song or not. And okay. I think you're going to say it's great. Um, what is your favorite story, Chris, from the, and tell me if I'm pronouncing this correctly, the Coroco pictures video store days. Who are you talking to? Okay. I, I'm not embarrassed by this, but it's just interesting <laughs> that you do. Good reason. Yeah. Well, look, uh, I got while, while, I've in a very short period of time, I've lived what I feel like many, many creative lives. And I've been very lucky and also unlucky in in certain ways. Uh, I feel like it's all sort of reaching ahead now where, you know, at the the height of my, you know, abilities and all this stuff from the past is now actually being used instead of just being like a, a memory. Mm-hmm. All of the things are sort of colliding and becoming something. Maybe that's why you like final. Uh, it's, it's, it's because it's all, all of this a great, is now great short film. All your stuff though is great. I'll be on. I mean, listen for this audience that's listening, uh, go watch his movies. You, you will not be disappointed anyway. Sorry to interject. Go, go ahead. No. Yeah. Sorry to be nice to me. Overly nice <laughs> to me. How dare you? Um, yeah, but he's right. Go check the stuff out. Yeah. Go check it out. Uh, no, I'm dead serious. Uh, yeah. I really appreciate that. But it, I, I feel like, um, well, you, you were saying the, the voice, right? Uh, you, you choose your instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pl- ended up playing guitar as well, but I was a singer. 
mm-hmm. and I was a front man. And I actually think, but no, I know for a fact it has made me, it, it, it allowed me to step into production and it allowed me to step into an AD position and it allowed me to step into a director position because you're really, really leading the band and a crew, whether it's three people that the, the three person crew, including me. So two person crew and me yeah. working on to be loved or, or maybe like an eight or nine person crew or like a 40 person crew on it that we, you know, one of the first uh, 48 hour film festivals or stuff, or maybe a 12 or 13 person crew on the keeper. These are all uh, parts of the anthology feature in the dark. You're leading a band of creatives and I know the stereotype of a director is this sort of quiet, you know, unassuming sort of person, uh, you know, like almost like the Bob Dylan, Mm. but I came from the David Lee Roth school and the Tony Scott school, you know, it's rock and roll. It's punk rock on screen. It's, uh, it's, I'm just, I'm, it really allowed me to not have the fear of no matter how big the production gets. I mean, I've right. been part of the production uh, of, you know, $5 million movies. I've been part of, uh, you know, television shows for A&E and CMT where, you know, I was a cog that was very important in that process. And I was just never afraid. And I think I, I think I had confidence as a kid. I was a very happy kid. And, um, but, you know, being a lead singer and having to command the audience is if you ask me, what's the thing that I was born to do? It's that, what did I yeah. learn to do? It's making movies and making music. You know, how did, um, but how did this time at, and again, did I pronounce that correctly? It's, it's probably, is it, it Carol Co or is it Carol Co? Everybody in the building used to say Carol Co. Carol Co. Yeah. But I've heard it in documentaries called Carol Co. But yeah, what Caraco, it is, Caraco Pictures Video Store. I mean, well, you, was, you, you end up working in there and this, I don't know, maybe you, I'd, I'd love for you just to share first before you tell a story about it, right. why this is such a unique video store. We were the bottom floor of the 8800 building on Sunset, which is across the street from Tower Records, right next to a place called Book Soup and on the same block as Tower Video. Hmm the corner of uh sunset and holloway which is a you know and super famous sort of corner right as you're getting into beverly hills and the sunset strip it's right where the sunset strip starts and uh i came to los angeles with three thousand dollars and if you've ever lived in los angeles even in the 90s uh three thousand dollars will last you about five minutes So I needed a job. I got on the bus. I didn't have a car. I got on the bus and went to this place and I got a job there. I didn't know anything about it. Here's what I found out in the first day was I was the only straight person there because we were in West Hollywood. Yep. And that, that ended up being a life changing sort of thing where, you know, a kid coming from Massachusetts who maybe knew one kid that might've been gay in high school now being the only straight guy and being like completely, uh, you know, 
marginalized uh, <laughs> and made fun of for looking more in their words, sort of more feminine than yeah. everybody else in the place. Yeah. And then Schwarzenegger walks in and rents a video. And <laughs> that was, and, 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 you know, the next month, Michael Jackson closes it down and we all have to go home because he wants to shop in a yeah. mask. Yeah. Uh, it was the video store for the stars. I'd say it's probably videos cost about twice as much as what blockbuster did. You had to pay off. I forget how much money you had to pay to have a membership and you had to leave a, leave a card. Um, it was just nonstop celebrities and really cool behind the scenes people. One of the nicest people I ever met was Penny Marshall's personal assistant. Mm-hmm. probably one of the nicest human beings ever um, met so many celebrities, a couple horror stories, but mostly really good. Yeah. And so we were, but, but I, okay. So the other thing was we were on the bottom floor of this building building meant nothing to me because I didn't really pay attention to the companies that made, I knew Fox. Right. Yeah. But Carol Co was this, um, and I'm forgetting the guy's name that runs it, but uh, he's still around. This was the house that built Rambo. This is the house that built Total Recall. A lot of the Schwarzenegger movies in the 90s. Mm. They were, I was there when the directors would be, Paul Verhoeven would come downstairs and with his very attractive, oh my God, so hot, uh, assistant. I was, <laughs> I was very young, so that's why I'm doing that. Paul <laughs> Verhoeven having a super hot assistant makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, and Lenny, Renny Harlan came down when they were doing cliffhanger and they rented every snow movie that had ever been made. <laughs> Paul Verhoeven rented every sexual thriller that had ever been made, which was something that I found out. I'm like, Oh, you guys don't just come up with all of this yourself. You sort of look to see what other people did. And that was a bit of an education that I didn't know I was getting. That's no, interesting. And so they were all upstairs and, uh, they would come, we ride past them in the elevator, uh, and, uh, it, it was, it was just crazy. I helped Cheryl Teagues buy her, by Robert Mitchum, his Christmas present. Oh, wow. And she didn't, and she, and she only, I said, here's a box set of the civil war. Remember that PBS civil war? Yeah. She said, nah, nah, I don't think he'd like that. And she goes, what's this? And I go, oh, that's just a, um, like some old movie. And she bought it. It was like 20 bucks. She's like, that's it. I'm like, Oh, she must, <laughs> she must not like Robert Mitchum. <laughs> Uh, you could afford it. Uh, but, uh, yeah. so it was, it was a crazy place to go to work. It was totally fun. Uh, the guys that worked there, uh, I introduced them to Andrew Dice Clay and heavy metal and they introduced me to beaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, and, uh, I never liked beaches and they never liked dice. Although <laughs> dice, dice grew on, on, on the manager of the place that was still one of my friends. Um, it was just really cool to be in that weird, not realizing that I was in the building where they were create like what I would have wanted to do now. In a, now. in, in a yeah. way, it's like you were the bank teller, you know, that whole idea that the bank teller touches more money than anyone else on mm-hmm. the planet, but they don't own it. They don't get to spend it. And here you are at this famous video store and all of entertainment walks in there Yep. and you get to sort of draft from it and be in touch. Um, and, and by your own admission, not really have the wherewithal to, to, to 
maybe sees an opportunity out of it because mm-hmm. at the time your focus was completely on being a musician. And I, and I feel that point of view allowed me to ingest way more than if I had something on the line for the same An reason agenda. that yeah. I got more parts than my friends who were living, breathing and dying acting because mm. I didn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted, I say, look, I'm doing this for the money. If you say no, I, I just got to get the other one. It yeah. didn't break my heart. I would go in and do the audition my way and I would get it or I wouldn't. And I just saw it as lost money. I didn't see it as lost heart and soul. I go to an, uh, go to work out with a musician and they're terrible or they're an asshole or something. Then I take that home and that's, you know, I start eating candy yeah, a lot, you know, crestfallen. And yeah, if we yeah, fast yeah. forward, yeah. you know, from those days to now, you really have had quite a transformation and, and forgive my description of this, but it seems like you've been able to kill off all your little devils. Uh, you know, you had long hair and now you don't, uh, you used to eat meat and now you don't, uh, no coffee. I don't know how you survive and, never drink and, coffee. and you it's don't, and, and you don't smoke and, and no. uh, anymore. I don't even smoke weed anymore. I mean, I, yeah. I never smoked. My mom smoked her whole life, quick cold Turkey one day had me go out to get two packs of cigarettes. I brought them back. She put one in her mouth. She wrapped the rest of them up in gaff tape, uh, and put it in the back of the, uh, cabinet, smoked a cigarette. That was it. She was smoking for 40 years, never smoked again. It was gross cigarette smoke. I was total pothead in high school. Uh, and I just burned it all out because I, I was so focused on career that yeah. you can't be a drunk high musician and the kind of music that I made at the time. So, so that's how, is there any tool or methodology you use to sort of get yourself out of the things that you didn't want to do anymore and thought were bad for your health or bad for your focus for those listening? Was there, is there anything you can offer up as a, as a tool or method? I mean, I just, I lucked out in the, in the, in the being in a, not my, brothers or my father or my mother, but my extended families, there, there were a lot of alcoholics. Um, and my brothers and I just dodged that bullet by luck. There, there was no, I truly believe that it is a, uh, a genetic thing that you can hold down. You can strangle it to the ground and hold it for the rest of your life and pin it down. But it's always, if you let go, it's going to pop up. We just, I'm just not addicted. I'm addicted to candy. That's the biggest problem. And my, gummy bears. my, my dentist is, is wealthy because, uh, <laughs> not that I had anything pretty done, just the number of cavities and root canals and things because of all the sugar. Uh, I'm trying to cut down on that too. Cause I'd like to, I'd like to live a little while longer. Um, absolutely. But, uh, it's just, I've always, I've always been able to just turn stuff on and turn stuff off because I have this sort of my, and my friend, I'm, I'm using my friend's words a little bit more. Cause I don't like to sit here and think about this, but my friends have said, you know, like you never stop, mm. but you're, you're not like morose or like down in the dumps or, you know, uh, about it. You just always like, Oh, that didn't work. All right. Make another one. It just comes from my, my mom and my dad and work ethic. And, and it's nothing, 
I don't know that I even cultivated it. Just that I want something. I needed that house for the old lady and to be loved. I didn't have the money for it. So I turned my house into it. Yeah. I didn't have the bar. I couldn't afford to do a bar in my first movie Shattered. So I asked Ruby Gadara if I could have a spare room. She's a props master here in Nashville yep. out in Watertown, which was a 45 minute drive there and back for months and months while I, with the help of a guy named Eric Gordon, Opie Gordon. They shot old Henry there, the breakout movie out of Nashville uh, in, last yes. year. Yep. Just out of with part of shooting a music video there a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. But she let me build the bar. So we built this 3000 square foot bar for my first movie. I, I just, I just, sometimes creatively, I just need to do things. And by any means necessary is a very, uh, very multi useful phrase for me. It obviously comes from something else other than what I use it for, but I really, truly, I don't just like want to make movies or want to make a TV show or something or even a play or even honestly anything physically creative that I'm making a cartoon or a comic book or something like that. I, I just want to make it. And the act of making it is so much fun that like, I'm just going to do it. If somebody yeah. else won't help me, I'll just do it. You're not going to let anybody or your own vices get in well, the I way. wouldn't get to have the thing because I yeah. don't have, I don't have just a sack of cash where you can just throw money at it. Um, and I, and I've got time because I built a, a number of skills that allow me to survive being an independent contractor. Yeah. Sometimes it's not pretty, but I'm in the arts. What am I expecting? Rolls Royce. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it doesn't mean yeah. that we can't be gajillionaires. That would be great, but I'm in it for the creation and not in like a, I'm better than that way. Cause my favorite director is Tony Scott. You cannot get much more popcorn than that dude. But I also love Steven Soderbergh, right? Yep. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered the question. Uh, you absolutely did, but you okay. did mention Shattered again, and we had talked about that at the top of the conversation. And I think this is kind of what this audience needs to know from you. I think this is this next thing is going to be critical to... Um, you know, how they might go about making their own features and, and making sure they make their money back. Because one of the things about you that really stands out is you sold your movie to Netflix shattered uh, back in 2008, but you made another movie in the dark that also made its money back that was distributed by Gravitas Ventures. So um, can you talk about, you know, how you set your budgets and how, uh, you know, how did you recoup your costs what steps did you take to make sure that you were in the best position possible to recoup uh, the, the budget of the film? Well, I would, I would say um, on anybody's first movie where you're making it with your own money, which I did, I was a production assistant for five to six years. I was also art department. You know, this is the beauty of being a PA in Nashville, at least in when I was doing it, I think it's still the same is because a lot of the work is non-union, even if it's, a, even if, you know, music videos and stuff. And so you would be constantly pulled into different departments. And over the years, there were a group of people like, you know, Terry Arthur and Bob Hill, and they, they would teach us um, how, you know, don't 
wrap, you know, it was don't wrap the cable that way, but it was also, Hey, uh, some of the best directing lessons I ever got were from, uh, those people who say, Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, see that jackass director over there. When I heard you're going to start directing, don't do that shit. Here's (laughs) tell us ahead of time. Don't be an asshole, you know, but all, all these kinds of things. And, and that really got me, I would say that's one of the sort of biggest lessons I got out of doing things. So when it came time to make my own thing, again, I wanted to make them. I need, I, I needed to, I made a short called Rocco and Vinny. And from that, yep. and we can talk about, because I know later we'll talk about sort of mistakes, but quickly the, the mistake I made was immediately went to a feature. Yeah. Got to do it. can't already did the short thing. Yeah. Got to go to a feature. Well, I did it. And so it's, you know, hindsight's 2020, but uh, I wouldn't recommend doing that, but I just saved money and anything I couldn't afford. I built or made or bought or yeah, you famously yeah. built the sets in, in uh, your short film to be loved, which was incredible. When you watch that movie to think that, you did the painting on the wall and all the set design and, and it, it, it was, it took, it was amazing, but it also probably was a necessity is my guess. There's no, that movie, that movie is not a movie without that, without that set. I, right. The look, every, all the pieces had to be there. Justin needed to be right. Shelly needed to be right. Uh, the VCR, the mm-hmm. pup, the puppetry, nothing could, if I did that and then I just had it in my apartment, that was, I'm like a modernist kind of guy, sort of, it was like gray and white and sleek and nice and hardwood floors. I'm like that. I wouldn't, I literally would not love that movie. Yeah. It'd be just like, eh, eh, which is why I'm, I should have just not made shattered because it sort of screwed me up. It's like, I got to stay in this feature world. So when I went back to doing shorts, I was like, oh crap, I'm doing shorts again. Ugh. But the reality was I should have been doing 20 shorts instead of, you know, shattered. Um, why is it, that? Why is that though? Well, the amount, the amount of time and energy it took for me to make that movie, because I didn't do what I knew, which was write what you have, right? Mm-hmm. Write a movie about your, the four actor friends that, you know, still live at home or, don't have jobs that are going to be a pain in the butt and, and you, you, you all work at different places. So you, you make them work there, but I just don't write those kind of movies. So, you know, slice of life, normal people discussion kind of movies. Yeah. Um, and I knew like the keeper, which is another piece of in the dark. I built that set too with David Booker uh, over like three months, but I make the mistake of going, I need a giant lair that has four rooms mm-hmm. and looks like a real movie. Yeah. Not just, Oh, we'll forgive them because they don't have any money. David, when David and I decided to do in the dark, we didn't want people to think for a second that we shot it on, you know, cannons, five D's and, uh, you know, made each piece for about five to seven grand, which oh, everybody wow. worked for free. Amazing but five to seven is food, uh, hard drives. And in my case, the set, which is Mm. just lumber and rentals. I had to, I had to actually have the electric company come in 
and hook electricity up to this location, which was a chunk. Yeah. Because I was going to get the location for free. So, uh, by any means necessary, right? The end result is what it's all about. So, um, that's how I'm coming at it. Now, the question was, what would I tell people? Yeah, about, about, well, I think you answered the question, the first part, which is, you know, how would you set your budget? It sounds like to me, it's like, well, what you know, do you build have? as much as you can yourself, um, cut where you can and, 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 and find out if you, if, if you have something in a community that will work for free and do it with grace, then that's, that's great. But it also sounds like you're saying, look, I made these feature films. I was successful with them, but it would have been less stressful if I'd have just made shorts instead for now. I, I think I, I think it would have been more beneficial uh, to my learning as a director, writer, creator, because mm. I think a lot of people forget, not you, I'm just saying a lot of people out there, uh, they think of it as some sort of, and I, and even though I, I knew this was wrong to think it's very tempting when you, when you write that script, you're like, I want to make this movie. Like, I just want to make this movie. I know I shouldn't because I don't have enough money to make this movie, but I should make a short, another short, but I don't want to make a short. So I totally know that feeling. Want to make a movie. I'd say do not. Look, unless you got a rich uncle or parents, I mean, go for it, man. You ever read American Cinematographer and they're talking about a 10 minute short that costs $400,000? Unbelievable. Uh, I, don't, I don't even, I don't eat. That's, I hope that's you. If you're listening, you don't listen to me. Just go do that and figure that out. That's a whole different world. Um, I would say the first, your budget is what you have, because I would think in the beginning, unless you've got somebody really cool, like bonsai creative in your corner at the very start, that's going to maybe help you navigate that. Um, I knew a little bit about other friends that had had trouble getting their movies sold. Mm-hmm. It, it, let's 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 uh let's fix that right now this idea of selling your movie getting your movie sold nobody wants to talk about the dirty secret is when i sold sold like i sold shattered no i didn't get a dime for letting them make all the money you know it was a seven it was a 60 40 deal in my favor mm-hmm. but they had put so much of an advance for advertising. Yeah. They didn't advertise my movie. So there was no selling. That's what I like to say. I prefer to say it got picked up for distribution. Yep. And it went out into the world and I got what I wanted out of it. I invested, you know, somebody else invests $5,000 in community college for a year or parents put $200,000 in for college. I busted my ass working on, country music videos and live shows for CMT squirreled it all away. Again, no booze, no partying at the time, no girlfriend. <laughs> I yeah. had two cats that were sick. So that was expensive. But other than that, <laughs> it was, it was just like, you know, single guy, you know, that time in your life. And mm-hmm. you can, I'm just like, I'm going to make this movie. And my friends helped me out because they were still at the beginning too. And I was like, well, I know you can shoot. I know you can shoot. I know you can shoot. I know you can do sound. Matt wants to do his first movie. Okay. 
So you get people and you put them all together. So it was, how much do I have? Yeah. Well, then I guess I have to build the bar, right? right. If I only have enough for food, food's going to get you. Look, I'll just say to anybody, sit down and try to pay. Everyone. I want to keep me too. I do take $200 a day. That would two, let's take 250, which is sort of basic union plus a little bit of insurance. Let's just say 250, 250 a day times 12 people times 20 days just to get people signed up. That's a bare minimum crew. It's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Haven't even made anything yet. People like, oh, I wrote the script for this movie. Am I going to get paid to write the script for this $30,000 movie? <laughs> no. And if, the director <laughs> takes any, and if the director takes any of that money, they're foolish too. In the beginning, you, you, you need something to show and you also need to get better at it. Like, I'm a much better... I'd be so sad if I wasn't a better director now than I was when I did Shatter. Yeah. But I think doing 10 shorts instead of one feature would have made me, I would be further along. I think time has given me the ability to catch up. Yeah. But at the time, if I would have instead made Rocco and, you know, more Rocco and Vinny three, four minutes, get him in more festivals, meet more people, do all that. um, It really wasn't about spending $15,000 on the movie out of my own pocket. Going, I got to get that money back. Yeah. It was an investment in my future. Yeah. And that's all you can do in the beginning, unless you're one of those American cinematographer people. Um, And I think most people are the people that are like, I really want to make a movie, make 10 shorts because honestly making a short is almost as hard as making a movie. Really? You're going to put in six, eight months. I did a four minute short over the pandemic. I figured I'd shoot it in a day and I did. And then with one actor, And I'd have it cut by the next weekend. Life gets in the way, but I forgot all the Foley I'd have to do. I forgot all the music that I was going to have to put together. All this. I didn't forget, but like in your brain, you're like everything. It's a beast. And and learning every time you do it, you, you get better. Making the movie is not, uh, let's see if a movie's 90 minutes, nine shorts, nine, 10 minute shorts instead. Yeah. Would have made you a better move if filmmaker than making the one movie. I, that's my argument. Uh, is that I think you should do shorts until you've um, got enough money to make the movie that you want to make. Uh, I, see what you're, I see what you're saying, and because it's so close to my heart, um, as the co-founder of Bonsai Creative, and we do branding and marketing uh, strategy, and and we're doing execution in a really unique way coming around the corner. I'm curious. We also have films distributed with Gravitas. Did they do any branding and marketing for in the dark for you? How how was that experience for you with them? My, my relationship with Gravitas started with shattered. Mm -hmm. It was at the dawn of streaming and online and the, the DVD place Maverick um, that, that got shattered. Uh, and did nothing with it, but they, I know they made money from it. Uh, the person that picked up my movie moved to another company mm-hmm. over the two or three years in between shattered and trying to do something else. And one day, no, like yeah, a year or so after that, 
And I didn't know much about, wasn't looking for streaming, didn't even think that I could kind of really go back and get those rights. But when I started to think about streaming, I went back and looked at my contract and they actually had the rights to all these things, but they weren't doing anything with them because they were DVD only. Right. And they had no connection to anybody else. So because, and, and this is a huge lesson, which is be nice to everybody, even if they're a jerk, mm-hmm. because, uh, oh, excuse me. Well, if they're a jerk, I don't know, but be nice to everybody, <laughs> even if they, even if they don't do the thing for you that they were hope that you were hoping they would do. Like this right. guy was, was at some other company and he didn't want my movie, but then he moved to Maverick and he goes, Hey, do you still have that shattered movie? Cause like, we'll totally put it out. And I was like, yeah, if I would have been, you don't know, man, my movie's so good. You're stupid. Like he yeah. would have never called. Me. <laughs> so, you know, don't do that. Um, right. and so if they, they got, but, but then, um, Gravitas, I reached out to Gravitas. I don't remember how I reached out to them, but I reached out to them for something. And I said, oh yeah. So I said, hey, I've got the streaming rights to all these things. They're like, well, they they actually, it, they haven't utilized it, but it's in the contract. If you can get them to tell you that they don't want those rights, we'll take them and we'll see what we can do with it. So I went back to Maverick and they were like, we don't want that stupid trap. Yeah, I'm fine. You know? So that was like, (laughs) so I go back to Gravitas and they're like, awesome. And then they go, it's $3,500 to deliver it. You know what I mean? Which a lot of, a lot of filmmakers do not understand that uh, if you're going to deliver to a real distributor, uh, it's going to be 3000 bucks easy. Even, you know, easily. So, um, and sometimes it can be five or 600 for a short too. Uh, so I had to put all the deliverables through and then I had them upraise it to HD because we were sort of getting into that, that time. And so that made it a little more valuable and, uh, no Blu-ray yet though. So that wasn't going to be, and then, uh, nothing really happened with it. And I was on a scout for a music video that I was just probably going to AD or whatever. I get a phone call. I'll be right back. And I'm be a lot of people aren't honest about things. So I'm, I'm, I'm obnoxiously honest and forthcoming because I, I, I wish I had known a lot of things mm-hmm. beforehand. So I'm going to tell you the truth. I could say, Oh yeah, man, they called me up. My movie was great. Netflix was like, we really need to have your movie on our streaming service. The guy calls me up from Gravitas. He goes, dude, Netflix wants your movie. And I, I was a member of Netflix at the time. I'm like, oh my God, that is so great. Like every time somebody rents it, do I get paid? I was like, oh no, it's a buyout. But um, they, they want to give us $15,000 for it. And I was just like, the answer is yes. And then he laughed. And then I just said, because uh, they would get half at that point, if they were getting half and half, he switched on the second movie. And then he said, but I got to tell you, I think they think your movie is a different movie. Mm. And I said, I know there's another movie with Pierce Brosnan that was called shattered. Totally get it. I think we should tell them because we already did. We already <laughs> reached out to them and we said, we think you have the wrong movie here because he didn't want to hurt my feelings. I said, come on, man. <laughs> I know the difference in the movies and I don't want them to come back and ask for 15 grand in six months. 
So he said, we sent our lawyers, sent a note, you know, letter to them saying, we understand you want this film code number ZX five, seven, nine, whatever. We believe you think it's this other film. If that's true, please let us know. And he said, and he had already done all of this. Yeah. And he said, and they sent us back saying, no, that we got the right movie. Yeah. And he said, and I said to him, uh, they got the wrong movie. And he goes, <laughs> yeah, but we have a, we have a piece of paper that says they didn't. So do you want to do this? And I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, amazing. So that's how that happened. It wasn't like oh, Chris's film shattered is so amazing. It's, it's like, no, man, it was my first movie. Honestly, I probably shouldn't have released it. It would be, should have been something that I made. And I was like, now I can make a real movie. I'm very right. proud of it. It's way ahead of its time. It was the first, you know, script that I wrote full length. Did that um, help you though? Within the dark though, the distribution, knowing oh, yeah. that you could go oh, back to Gravitas and say, well, yeah. our last one was on Netflix. So how about this one? Yeah. And I would argue it's probably the only Netflix sale they ever had. Um, yeah. Well, no, but, they, they sold, they sold all light will end that we did to Netflix, oh, but, okay. the, but, but you know, the industry changed at that time because we had a film that we thought was better. And at that time, the relationship between Netflix and, and Gravitas and, and Red Arrow had changed and Netflix had just changed direction and said, look, we're going to start producing our own stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, we're buying less from the market. And I always say this, I, but I don't say it a lot on the podcast. I say it like in panels and workshops. The one thing that's out of your control, but you can monitor it as a filmmaker is how good or bad the sales team is at your distributor. We really take that for granted. Like, yeah, just because they're your distributor, we assume that they must have all these connections and must be like, the most awesome salesperson in the world to get this job. And then you look at their Twitter profile and you know, they worked at Panera before this and it's like, <laughs> what, like what, like this yeah. is, this is your VP of sales or whatever their title is. And you realize that, okay, well it could be my movie. It could be the market, but it could be this guy or girl that just doesn't know how to, that couldn't, you know, sell her way out of a paper bag or his way out of a paper bag. I mean, that could be it as well. So it's, oh, it's wow. a, it's, it's a, it's a interesting conversation to have. Um, you preached in wire because we, we ran into, we had never had a problem and we ran into a massive issue at, we were released uh, two weeks before Halloween. Yeah. 2015. We had the morning it came out. We were, our trailer was on Hulu, which at the time was a, not a normal thing for a tiny movie like us. It's totally yeah. normal now, but yeah, huge. Uh, and we were on the front carousel of iTunes mm -hmm. at the top when it, when it spins through, which they, Gravitas were like, Oh, we, this has never happened. So we felt really good. <laughs> yeah. New release, right? We knew we would be in horror new release. And then I went, you know, I'm doing my little world tour of uh, all the different places that sell it and Amazon yeah. rental. And we're not in the new release anywhere. Mm. And I was, was like, okay, maybe it'll take a couple hours next day. No release. It took us a month to get gravitas to change the method. Somebody made a mistake on the metadata oh. and, and put, uh, we had originally 
had a screening of To Be Loved at the Nashville Film Festival. And they put, I guess, whoever you talk about, the person that used to work at a, you know, subway, somebody went to IMDb, looked at the only date that was there versus the release date from the company. So we lost all the, you know, we had good reviews online. We had interviews of us. We had all lined them up for that week so we could get Halloween money. It was November 1st or 2nd when they finally got it. And by that point we were, you know, new releases, we were 60th and 70th down. And that definitely uh, stunted our growth. Yeah. So, but over the, over five years, six, seven years, whatever it's been, uh, just with viewings, not purchases, honestly, I think the, I think the future, unless you're in a, you know, in a, uh, a movie that has commercials on YouTube all the time and name actors and stuff like that, being on a service like Tubi or something, you're going to make way more money. Yeah. Uh, can you make, you also, you know, can you make $400,000, $500,000? Probably not. So don't make your movie for four hundred, $500,000 unless you know where, how you're going to recoup it. Right. Uh, if you're making a little horror movie or something and you make it for 20 grand, like get it on any of those. Cause we made, we made our money back because of Amazon when it got added to prime for free. Yeah. And that some, it can feel a little artistically sort of a bummer, like, Oh, it's free. So of course they're going to watch it. Hey man, at that point, human beings watching it and having a good experience, you have to kind of extricate yourself from that opening weekend sort of mentality. Yeah. But we did have a problem with that. And that did, uh, the guy that runs Gravitas and I were, you know, I was upset about it. Um, no one. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, but he, he also sold the film to, uh, uh, he licensed it, uh, for $5,000 to another place. And so that with everything over the years has brought us to the point where we broke even, but again, I wasn't famous. He wasn't famous. None of our actors were famous. This was yet another calling card that we invested our personal money. He and I, uh, line produced a, a Christian, uh, a Christian movie and a faith-based movie, I guess mm-hmm. call it now. Yeah. And, uh, that with that $5,000, we each went and made a short, um, mine was to be loved and his was, uh, dummy. And, uh, so yeah, it, uh, that, it's amazing. Uh, and I, we had a similar issue with our film adult interference. And, you know, one of the things again, that doesn't get mentioned a lot is be really careful when, uh, you add your film to IMDb. Uh, I know that you kind of need to do it sometimes to get attachments and to let people know that your movie's greenlit and, and, and that you can, you know, that it's really happening because there's so much BS in movies where, you know, you're, you're, you know, there are people saying things are happening and they're not really happening, but you don't know what that first deal is going to be like. You don't know how long it's going to take in post. And if you have this really, outdated sort of yep. release date on IMDb that doesn't really match reality. It can really hurt you, uh, upon I would ne- yeah. release, you know, I would never, I would tell everybody do not put anything until the day that it is in the release form, the first released form that are one of the, one of the choices, whether it's yep. a premiere or a thing, but I also, if you can get away with not putting the premiere on there, it's not like there's the police and they're going to say, Oh, well you had a premiere and you didn't put it on IMDb. 
the opposite is true. IMDb is not built for what the purposes that are screwing us. If the things that it's doing are not helping us. I would never, I didn't put the, the pandemic, I, I, I didn't put final up until I was, it was, I had played at a festival where it was officially going to be that release date. And I knew Smart. that wasn't going to be on TV because I went through what I went through with, with the, uh, within the dark. And I was just kind of like, I'm never, that's all like ego stuff. That's like, uh, that, that's yeah. putting it up there. The people, exactly right. people that I, not that I know personally, but I know there are sort of starting sort of filmmakers. Yeah. I'm not, I am one too. I'm not pretending that I'm sort of some sort of big person, but people that are literally just starting and they've got, cause you know, in development script, it's like, I understand that looks cool. And you, I guess you can take it down, but unless you're Fox and you can call up and change a date so that it doesn't screw up your release. If, if some other streaming service or Amazon or iTunes wants to want, picks it up, you're boned. Like their systems work with metadata. And if your date was that date, they can't change it because that's false advertising. That's there's laws. So just screw. I have, I'm an IMDB pro member but screw IMDb, make a movie and then get together with your team and figure out how you're going to release it. And then like the next day, put it on IMDb. Like who gives a crap? Nobody, you know what I mean? I guess what you're saying when you're making deals, if somebody needs me to put it on IMDb in order to be in my movie, I guess we'll do that. But that'll, I'm going to let someone else decide to do that. Yeah. It's worth it for you just to explain to them why you're not doing it and see if they're still interested. But, um, but definitely thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, what are the two best pieces of advice, Chris, you've received in your career so far? And, and who did they come from? Um, I wrote this down. Let me take a look here. Just uh, just bullet points, not the whole thing. But, uh, <laughs> well, because there's a, there's a million, right? Like, yeah, if, you're lucky, so many. if you're lucky from the time you're born, you know, your father's saying, you know, don't, don't touch that flame. You know, like there's lots yeah. of things that you think, Oh, that has nothing to do with filmmaking. Sure. It does. Because I was standing next to a gigantic, you know, with the kinds of fans that they use to, to, to make it look like a tornado. Yeah. And we were on an indoor set and Kyle Hudson and Bill and, and um, Bob Hill were across the way. And I used to have three feet of hair and I was standing <laughs> w- right next to it. And they're oh waving boy. their hands frantically, screaming at me, pointing, pointing. And I'm like, hello. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and then Kyle Hudson, uh, uh, I forget who pulled me away, but somebody grabbed me, pulled me away. That's, you know, that's a cut, you know, it's reset. They came over and like, dude, I'm like, what? He's like, your hair was going to fly into that blade. <laughs> and it would have literally sucked your whole head into that blade. That's what we were telling you. You know, those, those are lessons too, yeah. but that, that's, that's, you know, that happens to everybody. Um, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say the, the, it's be a PA, especially in, on a non-union production. It okay. could be a music video. It could be because you're going to get everything. Now, if you go to a union set, you're going to carry coffee. doesn't really do you much good. If you can be right. on a non-union set, especially lower budget, better to know what it's like at its worst 
than to start off on a giant show where you're not allowed to touch anything. You're not, you're not going to be, nobody's gonna have the time to teach you anything. Um, and I, I, the best advice I was given were all the advice that I was given while on the set. Yeah. Hey, when you're a director, don't do that. That's stupid. Tell us ahead of time. Don't walk up and go, oh, it's fancy. I want to have this. Know how long it takes mm-hmm. to build something. Yeah. So you don't say, hey, I need a 20 by in five seconds. If you've, if you've built a 20 by, it takes longer than five seconds. But mm-hmm. I've seen directors and producers ask for things and they don't understand. And actors, actors just as well should be PAs because acting is, is your art. But you need to know about the machine you're about to enter. Yeah. So all the all the thousands of just great uh, bits of advice that I got from the from being on a set and people that had more experience than me, probably. But I, I, well, I know for a fact it's better than film school. I just know it is, and it's cheaper. You actually pay to go. Agreed. Um, um, so that's that's the that would that would be the big one. Um, Oh, and don't walk on the, but, but don't walk on the set and say, I'm a director. I'm just doing this. Shut <laughs> up. Take it all in. And in all honesty, I've known people that everybody wants to be a director. Let's just, let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Most people find out very quickly that they don't want to be one once they have to kind of, when they're around it or they have to do it. Right. So, or, you know, Oh, you know what? I didn't know I wanted to be a DP. I know lots of people who started off as directors and now they're DPs Yeah. Uh, or sound men or, or whatever it is. And then the other was uh, understanding my, my dad teaching me the importance of the business side of show business. Mm-hmm. At the time it was acting. Um, and then when he saw me wanting to do film and go to USC, he was going to have to write letters to you know try to get me in and all this kind of stuff. He hand, he hand typed a letter to Steven Spielberg <laughs> when they were making E.T., because I had read a little blurb in Starlog magazine that they were going to make a movie called The E.T. and Me. And my family had no knowledge of anything in the arts. Um, and my father just said, you know, 20th Century Fox, Mr. Spiel. He's a smart man, but this is as close. There was no way to find out what you would do. So it was almost yeah. like a fan letter. My son is an actor and he'd like to audition for this thing. You know, so he was they were always super supportive that way. Um, it's, it's the, it's the idea of the thing that kids say to my parents didn't say this to me. So I'll say what the lesson I learned was from my parents, not saying this to me and is I hear it so much from parents. It's a million to one shot. Yeah. It's a million to one shot. Now, if you're a kid and you're not crazy, insane driven, like I've been since birth, it very easily can discourage you, shut you down right there without having a wonderful parent they could inadvertently destroy it. And everybody says that it's a million to one. It's a million to one. If you want to be Steven Spielberg, cause there's already one, right? Right. But here's what my dad basically said. He said, it's a million to one. If you sit on the porch and say, I want to be a whatever. Yeah. I want to be a filmmaker. But if you move to a city where they actually make them, now you're one in a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. And if you learn, you go and you work on it, you're one in 10,000. And if you make something and it doesn't suck, you're one in a hundred. That's the same as any other job. 
you think people getting out of law school aren't competing against more than a hundred other people for that law firm or that dentist job or that other thing? That was absolutely my experience in music. There were a hundred singing groups. uh, And for those who don't know, I was in a singing group named Solace. That was very average, but we were, were good enough to make these showcases. There would be hundreds of groups to sign up for these showcases and by the end of it, cause it kind of works like a tournament where you kind of get eliminated. It was always the same. It was always the same four to six acts. I, we'd see, we, became, we all became friends. We'd all go to like waffle house together or like hang out at different places together and see each other in the mall and things like, because it was always the same um, four to six singing groups or acts. You know, the cream rises and uh, it, it can start off as this really big daunting thing. And then you find out, uh, you know, everybody's just copying everybody else and not being authentic and it shows through and, and it doesn't help out. Um, speaking of stuff that filmmakers do and artists do, what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making Chris? Hmm. Thinking everything you make should be immediately shown to the world. Like, putting it up on a YouTube page. And I don't mean like if your thing is doing a hundred, 200 pieces of content a year, I'm talking about traditional, I make a short, you know, you, you write it, it was six months total. Maybe if you go fast and give me a short three, six months, and then you try to make a feature. Like, like I said, I'm proud of shattered, but I don't, it's not on my website because I'm so much, better than that. Right. And at some point, maybe some of my other stuff will start to fall aside because it's not showing a, a person coming new into your life. You have to understand that most people are going to come to you at whatever that moment is. And if you haven't put your new, like if, if I only had shattered on my website until I got to make something that I was super proud of, like to be loved or in the dark came out, anybody that came by randomly or into my life. Oh, you want to see my work? Oh, that's, that's what you can do. That's good. But you got a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. I I would just say, don't, don't put everything up because you feel like you have to, because everybody does. It's not true. Uh, We, we take down our old stuff all the time and not because we hate it or whatever, but it's called growth and you really want to stay up to date. Uh, I see that a lot. Um, and a uh, quick side note, if you're going to make a short, make it really short. Yeah. We made, we started off our anthology film by making shorts that were 26, 28 minutes long because we wanted them to kind of be tales from the crypt episodes. If we could maybe roll them into that in some way, but they're hell to program at a festival. Come mm-hmm. up with the best three minute short and you'll be in a thousand festivals. Um, so yeah, that's well, offshoot of what we're talking about, but yeah, we always give the example of a, a Mil uh, Giardo, a director writer uh, out of um, Los Angeles, and he has a one minute short on his website, and that one minute short will do more for you emotionally than a lot of 15, 20 minute shorts I've seen, mm-hmm. and he puts it all together in one minute. It was one of the first things he did, and it's like, okay you're on your way to somewhere because that looked easy. It wasn't easy. It's you told an entire story in one minute. Songwriters can't even do that. Right. Um, 
If you had one month, Chris, to teach someone how to direct just off the street, they had a feature they were going to direct or a short they were going to direct. What would be the first three things you, you teach them? I would sit, I would take that month and I would say today we're going to start writing a short film. And then in four or five days, we're going to prep it scout and we are going to then cast it in XYZ. I'll keep it short because I can go through the whole process and then we're going to shoot it and then we're going to edit it because you're going to learn how to edit and then you don't have to be the greatest in the world. You're going to chop and cut. You know, anybody can chop and cut. Mm-hmm. Right? At, at some point it becomes about taste and choices, and, but and this is the first timer, right? This is like, by the end of that, you will be able to make anything you want to make. Yeah. Is the, I, I, is the that's audience... what I would do with a month. I would say make, so, I would make something because otherwise like learnings, like do it, just make it. Make so it, it would, even if it sucks. It, it would be like throwing a child into the water to teach it to swim versus putting them Only down in a classroom and, and giving them all the didactic and technical and here's how the camera and the lens works. And yeah, you wouldn't but, be doing that. You'd say here, just go make it how you think you would make it and then learn from that. I, I, uh, I wouldn't throw them in. I would, uh, I would take them in with me. I would okay. hold them up and I would swim with them <laughs> and then I would slowly let them go. Uh, but then at night I would make them listen to script notes which is a podcast about screenwriting. Oh, John August and Craig Mason. Wonderful podcast. Great. Unbelievable. A bunch of other really good podcasts that are really, truly, uh, Adam Green and Joe Lynch do a podcast. Um, the crypt. Oh, I, I, I've listened to like all 500 episodes, movie crypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, even if you don't like horror, uh, the, especially the first 500 or so episodes are it's, it's a primer on how to make independent film for sure. Whether it's hard, whether you have a blood in it or you don't, it doesn't matter. Like they are truly guys that are, that are rising up, you know, the ranks and, and, and made, and made things, but it would be a nonstop. They, by the end of that month, it'd be the hardest month they've ever worked in their life. And then I would say, oh, do you want to do that for the rest of your life? And yeah. then that's when you would know. And, yeah. and crazy suckers like me go, kind of don't like anything else. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm fine. Look, am I tired? Is my do my bones ache? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I don't have hobbies, man. Like uh, we rescue cats. That's about you know the, the most hobbyish kind of thing. Um, this is everything. Uh, I love writing and and and, but I couldn't just write. That, that would bore me. Uh, I have to write for a purpose uh, to make something. Um, I um, but I'd make a movie with somebody. That would be the answer. Yeah, sure. The uh, moment where you said you would carry them into the water with you, that is just a, a perfect visual for who you are as a person. Um, you're such a good guy oh. uh, beyond <laughs> the cats and the dogs and the rescue, which you don't get enough credit for. Your wife oh. doesn't get enough credit for it. Uh, you should meet the, you should meet other people. Tina Davis. We're, we're part-timers there. They're, they're, there's an other level of human sacrifice and kindness of the Nashville cat rescue, saving Stevie, uh, just all, all, all uh, the catio, uh, just all those people taught us. Yeah. I, I could do a whole cat. cat yeah. Yeah. I know, I know we, what I'm saying. You're, 
I could do you, really, you, you really I could do are. Podcast. I could do yeah, heavy metal podcast. <laughs> Absolutely, you you talking you, movies today. You talking really movies. are. You really are that guy. And um, look, this has been an incredible conversation. We've we've went all over the world, literally and figuratively. And I still have not even gone halfway in on the notes that I have with you, Chris, and for you. And so we definitely must do a round two. But but for now, I'm curious, um, uh, or, or not curious, but I would I would love for you to just to share with uh, this audience where they can see these films we've described throughout the conversation, where they can find you on social media to thank you for these great films that you've made, and uh, how they can reach out to you. Um, I have a website. Yes, I do still have one of those and I keep it up. Um, (laughs) Actually, I will give a piece of advice on that. If I have the time, please, uh, don't, if you have the Adobe suite, do not pay someone. I mean, unless you get bonsai is a different sort of like full on, you know, but I'm talking about like a filmmaker that just Mm -hmm. wants to have the clips, right. And maybe a bio and is it okay. Regular, uh, portfolio website for filmmakers. Do not pay money. Mm-hmm. If you have Adobe, there's a program called Portfolio. Mm-hmm. I believe that's what it's called. Yep. I was paying 13 bucks a month for the last 20 years for my website. I recreated it. There's a template. I'm, I'm a little nerdy. So I worked inside some of the HTML and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I made it look how I wanted it to, but the templates are great. And it's literally free with your subscription. Yeah. So, you could save yourself four or $500 a year. Um, yep. if you're on Squarespace, nothing against Squarespace, love Squarespace. If you listen to podcasts, everybody's got <laughs> Squarespace. It's actually really good, but I, all I needed was a place to pop stuff on new stuff. And, yep. and that was it. And so, um, but Chris St. Croix.com and it's Chris and then CHRIS and then St. Croix, like the Island. And there's no period, but bottom line, if you type any sort of weird combination of Chris St. Croix, I'll pop up first in Google. Um, awesome. There's a hockey player named Chris St. Croix. That's not me. But other than that, uh, that's it. And then I honestly have to see what my Instagram is. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's Chris St. Croix film. Where do you see it? Uh, yes. Chris St. Croix, Chris St. Croix film. Uh, if you want to go there. But that's really where I just post work. I'm not, uh, some of my stories are a little more personal because then they go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm just trying to really use it as a, uh, a way to connect with, in, with other creatives. Cause I, I will say one of the, one of the mistakes that I made was there's the really good upside to being a, a one man band kind of, yep. I think I'm, I got to make a lot more things than maybe I wouldn't, if I had to wait for people, but it doesn't help you grow a f- like an extended family. And that's why I really wanted to be on this and meet you guys. Cause I'm really looking to expand my creative family and find new collaborators and all that. So that's where, that's what the purpose of Instagram is. It's like, Oh, you can see a little bit of my work, see a little bit about me. And then I can go to your page and then maybe we can DM and say, Hey, you know, let's maybe, maybe you're, maybe you're writing something that we'd want to make that would strike our fancy. Let's, let's get together and talk more than, uh, any sort of personal opinions or thoughts that I have in the world. 
that's for my Facebook page and that's for friends and family only. So I love it. I love it. This has been such a blast. And I, I think we will, we will end on this. Was it, did I, did I, I felt like I didn't talk about movies. I felt like I talked about myself too much and that's annoying. <laughs> but well, you that's did ask me. You asked yeah, me. Yeah. That's part of the know. make it. Podcast, oh, yeah, that's, that's true. It's not really like, you know, movie, movie making tips and hints, which I, I, I love, but, uh, I think you gave a few of those too. I think you gave a lot of those, frankly. Yeah. I mean, stuff you couldn't get anywhere else. Cause you're, 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 you're being a straight talker with everybody on this as you do. And, uh, I love that your experience, um, uh, is so broad that, uh, we could touch on a lot of different things and, and you're not going to lose anybody in the audience because they've lived that life. Um, if you had to be, uh, you had to take three rock albums with you to an Island. Oh, well, end on this. If you had to take three rock albums yeah. with you to an Island, what three are you taking? Oh man. Albums, three rock albums and three movies. How about that? Can you do that? Ooh. They're so both. They're, I'm going to be missing out on things. The shot of the devil. Motley. Um, <laughs> oh man, I should know. I should uh, kiss alive too. Mm, okay. Uh, music and also for just life changing. Again, that, this isn't all just for music. These are things that that impacted my life. And when when Shadow the Devil came out, it was like this perfect marriage of me picking up the microphone and it was just kind of like it's a couple years after that but uh i just never get sick of that record and never get sick of kiss alive 2 and the wild card i will say listen without prejudice um by george michael oh it's a masterpiece first album i ever bought with my own money was george michael faith also a great album but listen without prejudice is 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 like watching uh, it, it's it's just him. It's his soul, like and his and his talent poured onto tape. Because I know it was. I don't think it was digital. Yeah. Uh, and it's just. It's so you could listen to it forever. Um, it's every Movies. song. Rock and Roll, mm-hmm. which is an animated film that came out in '83, and it was only in three theaters. And I happened to be living in Boston at the time, and I mm-hmm. I saw it three times in the week. <laughs> It was the week that it came out for one, one week and it bombed and it was only in a bunch of theaters and I, a handful of theaters and I saw it three times. Love that movie. Love that movie. Love that movie. Yeah. Uh, if you can find it, check it out. I think it's one of the best animated movies ever. And I want to make a, I want to make a live action musical. Anyway, um, check it out. Uh, see, you'd think I'd say star Wars. Yeah. Or some Tony Scott film. If I could have to pick one Tony Scott film, it would be Last Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though other movies, I think, are more masterpiece of his, that is the one that I watch the most because it is so much fun. Um, Domino, I love too, but uh, even though people hate that movie, but I love it. Um, yeah, so fine. I'll say I'll say Last Boy Scout. That's not that's not one. Uh, All the President's Men. Mm, yeah, I, that's one that I just can turn on, and I, I can't not watch it all the way to the end. 
Uh, I think it's a masterpiece. Um, yeah. I, that's terrible three on both. It's a, like, it's a like unique three for sure. Rock and roll, last Boy Scout, oh and all the President's Men. And it, it's weird, weird because because the three I would take with me onto the island might not be the three best movies I've seen, but it, they're the three movies oh, that I would watch over and over again. So it'd be like right. The Princess Bride. It might be Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It might be American Pie. It might so be... Fun. So, you, so you have yeah. fun stuff. I have like violent... Uh, yeah. you know, mentally taxing. <laughs> I don't know what well, I'm going to do on this island. It, but it's, you, it, yeah, it's it's like I might take those movies, but my favorite movies are like American Beauty and Braveheart and Requiem for a Dream and like movies like that, Imitation of Life, and those are kind of my Color Purple. Like those are my favorite movies. I think those movies are great. Um. Uh, interstellar makes me cry every time I see it for some reason. Um, so th- th- there are all these uh, movies, uh, Magnolia, uh, that, that I would, that would say, Oh, that's unbelievable. Oddly enough, it's that's not a movie one. I'd want to watch again. I love, so, I love almost all his movies. Um, and, uh, that's the one that I have seen the most. Uh, and it's the longest, I think it's the longest. It's, I don't know. There's just so much to get out of that movie. There's yeah. so much filmmaking in that. It's also, yeah. it's, maybe it's a filmmaker thing too. Like people mm-hmm. like it, but they, they like this other movie of his because, you know, Boogie, look, Boogie Nights, friggin' Boogie Nights. Yeah. Nobody can, but there's something about Magnolia. It's so cinematic. It's so mm-hmm. hand wrought by one mind. And it's just the movement of the camera. And it's just, it's, uh, it, that's, that's the rewatchability for it. It's just so rich. So great. So yeah. great. Licorice pizza was great this year as well. Uh, despite what anybody will tell you, it's unbelievable from beginning to end. In my I'm looking opinion. forward to it. I just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, um, dialogue is, is way up there. Super great. So there you go, folks. You have the three films and the three albums. Chris St. Croix would take with them to a, a, a lonely desert Island. And you also so have terrible to be alone <laughs> on an Island with no technology. I guess I would make stick figures in the sand and then accept your iPhone to play your albums and accept some, you know, Blu-ray player to play your movies or some streaming device. To and, and an movies. everlasting battery made by Elon Musk to take us all the way back to the beginning when we were, what we were talking about. That's exactly, um, that's exactly right. And, and so, the last thing I'd say is just, you know, have your uh, pet spayed and neutered because the cat that's in the next room with a broken leg has FIV Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it has no immune system, so it might not heal. And that's because people don't get their cats and dogs fixed. So I always do that. So sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, I love it. I love it. And um, it's a whole other conversation we could have because we're at the point in the world where you can clone your cat and dog and all these different things are going on. So uh, rapamycin is now uh, a known quantity. So you can extend your dog or cat's life by 30, 40%. Uh, so there are all these things happening in that world. So I'm glad you spoke about it because people care about it and it's becoming like a, a, a big thing. And people in my family uh, do similar types of advocacy as well. And so um, I think it's a great message. And this whole conversation has been just such a pleasure, Chris. And I, I really have enjoyed it. It's one of the best conversations I've had in the two and a half years I've been doing this. So you're killing me, dude. You're I, killing I, I, me. It's true. I, I can't thank you enough. And uh, I can't wait to do it again. Uh, in, in the meantime, 
you know, I'd wish you the best of luck. I, I know you don't need it. And oh, for those, uh, um, we all do. We all do. We, we, we we're all, in the arts, man. We all got to just, we all got to <laughs> help each other out. It's, you know, if we can connect and make something together, that'd be great. And if we could just pass on information to others and make life easier for them, because, you know, we kind of wish we had that. I know I did, you know, I had, I was lucky in some ways, but like, there's so much stuff that gets glossed over and I just want, I don't want there to be any secrets. I, I see making movies as a blue collar job. Yeah. I really do. And, and, and it's, there's a lot of, you know, if you're making millions of dollars as an actor or something, it's, it's a little different, but the people that like physically make the movie, including the director, uh, it's really a blue collar. The core of the job itself is blue collar, but then we just don't have to wear ties and shave if we don't want to, yeah. I mean, or, you know, or to even take a shower, honestly. Sharing these little bits of information is why we do this podcast. And and we want this to be uh, a top three podcast you take with you anywhere to make a film. And, and I just think we're on our way to that. If, uh, if we keep having guests like you, so, um, it, it's really great for, for those. It's been great. And, and for those listening, um, please do go out watch Chris's films, find him on social media, find him on the inter- internet, Please support this work uh, and and reach out to him. I'm sure he would love that. And if you yeah. want to reach out to us, we are at www.bonsai.film and we're at underscore Bonsai Creative on the interwebs and all that good stuff. So don't be a stranger there and do what uh, Chris says, which is make stuff you love, uh, survive in the arts and be happy doing it. Chris, I'll talk to you soon, man. You got it. Thanks, man. Loved it. You're the best. Be good. You too. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, Go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.